Thanks for being here. I appreciate you taking the time here this morning, and it's fun to just laugh with you and uh, talk about some of who we are and how we are and, and dream a little bit, too. Fun to spend the time praying. Um, I was uh, hanging out with Nelson, I don't know, maybe six months back. I was razzing him about something, and he, uh, I, I was joking with him on something, and his comeback was, okay, plaid boy. And, and I thought, well, what is that? Where did that come from, you know? So I went home, and I looked in my closet, and I, I counted, how many, how many, like, collared shirts do I have? And there was, like, 20 shirts. And then I realized that, like, 18 of them were plaid of some kind. So I came back the next day, and I said, dead to rights, you know, you got me. So... I thought I would uh, wear my most plaid shirt that I could. You know, it was maybe like, I don't know, two weeks ago, we were having some carpet installed here in this new student lounge, which, go check that out if you haven't, it's a cool space. And uh, there's some carpet guys doing some installing around in different places in the building, and on one of the last days, I, I wasn't in the building, and the foreman stopped by the church office, he wanted to clarify something with me, apparently, and there's two gals in the office, and, and he said, well, can I talk with the pastor? And they said, well, which one? And uh, he said, well, um, he always wears plaid. You know? And I thought, okay, this is getting weird now. Like, I'm getting a fashion audit from the outside. You know? So, anyway. Hey, uh, there's a handout that was just being coming around. It says, ministry grab bag on the top. Uh, you'll want to have one of those, or I'd love for you to have one. Um, I want to share with you 10 Bible verses that we can reflect on in our ministry at Hope Church. And it's a little bit dangerous to do this because we're just all over the place with a talk like this, but hopefully it's more grab bag than junk drawer. Um, And these aren't verses that I found for this talk. Um, What I wanted to do was share with you you ever have some verses that, that just kind of ping-pong around in your brain or in your heart? Uh, or something, a verse that either sticks to your ribs or jabs you in the ribs? And uh, these are ten verses that over, I would say, this last year, keep coming up in my mind, keep coming up in my conversation with Jesus. And uh, so I just wanted to share them with you. And maybe they have some things in common, maybe they don't. But... Um, Let's just uh, jump right in and see what happens. So the first one, and we'll put each one of these on the screen as we talk. First one's out of Deuteronomy uh, chapter 7. And uh, mainly I just chose this because if you quote Deuteronomy, it makes you sound spiritual. So I'm just kidding. Uh, Here's the verse. And this is where uh, God's talking with them about taking over the promised land. He said, The Lord your God will drive out those nations ahead of you little by little, You will not clear them away all at once. Otherwise, the wild animals would multiply too quickly for you. And I thought, what a a strange verse. He's basically saying, you know, there's these other nations, there's these giants in the land and everything like that. But, um, and we'll take care of all that. But we, we need to make sure that we do it in a particular way because if I were to drive them out for you too quickly, that would be cool. And you'd be like, wow, you're so cool. But then... 
you wouldn't be able to repopulate the land fast enough, and then some wild animals would come in, and they would multiply in the land, and then that might even be worse than the nations that you just drove out, and you'd have a, a different extra problem on your hands. And I, I just thought of this I, when I think of this verse. God is thinking so many steps ahead of us, it's not even funny. I, I, I seriously doubt there was a partic- any Israelite that was thinking, now we've got to make sure that when we drive these nations out, we don't do it too quickly, because what about the wild animals, you know? And there's a friend of mine back in California, and uh, I don't play baseball. I'm not much of a baseball guy, but he's played a lot of baseball and coached a lot of baseball. I remember he was telling me a particular time where a player on a team he was coaching uh, stole second or something like that. And then uh, after the inning was over, the player comes over and says, hey, coach, did you see that? I stole second. And he said, yeah, I saw it. And he said, well, wasn't that cool? And he's like, well, actually, um, I didn't want you to do that. In fact, the uh, baseline coach was asking you not to do that. Did you see his signal? Because when you did that, it then resulted in this and then this, and now I have to take it into account for this and this, and it affects my strategy for these next couple innings. And, uh, and the player was like, oh. You know, and God is seeing this thing, so many chess moves out ahead of us, it's not even funny. Um, I remember Laura and I, when we were engaged, uh, we're in a conversation with the Billy Graham Association, and we're all slated to go work on staff with them, some overseas crusade work stuff. And uh, I remember being on, I was doing construction at the time, I remember being on this particular roof, I can picture it, and, I, and just waiting weeks and weeks for this call, for them to say, all right, come on up to Minneapolis. And, uh, and I was like, God, what is going on here? This was supposed to be wrapped up by now. And um, uh, it turned out that it, at the last minute, the funding for the position got pulled like a couple levels up from where uh, the position was generated. And so it never came about. But then like a year later, um, we realized, wait a second, new country, new ministry, new marriage, all at the same time. We thought that was a good idea. But then when we looked back on it with a year's hindsight, we said, that would have been crazy. Not good. Not good. And uh, the Lord knew what we needed at the time. We thought we knew what we wanted. He knew what we needed. You know, he knows how he wants to see Dubuque reached. He knows which churches will rise up and when. He knows which leaders will submit and how. He knows which campuses or church plants will be established by whom and where. Who wants to see the Lord's work done in Dubuque more than the Lord? You know, he is the master, and as such, he has the master plan. He has mastery over all of the obstacles that we're going to face, and he has command of all of the master strokes that are going to move us forward. And he's thinking about things that we're not even thinking about at all. He's thinking about the wild animals. And for that, I I praise the Lord. Let me uh, go further in Deuteronomy here, number two. He says, it's not because you're so good or have such integrity that you're about to occupy their land. The Lord your God will drive out these nations ahead of you only because of their wickedness and to fulfill an oath that he swore to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What I take from that passage is, you know, sometimes uh, we're blessed because of us. You know, uh, we, we want God to bless us, and, and he says, well, be blessable, and then we'll talk about it. 
Uh, sometimes we're, we're blessed because of us, but many other times we're blessed because of other people or other reasons or other circumstances that have nothing to do with us. We're just collateral in, in all of that. It just reminds me, hey, Daryl, you're not so great, so don't act like you are. Uh, Laura's grandfather, uh, who was a farmer in Kansas, uh, prayed, uh, she's got a huge extended family, over 100 people, and he prayed for all of his grandkids every day, morning and night, by name, individually. And there's been many times when I've thought, hey, this cool thing just happened in my life. wonder if that was because Laura's grandpa prayed on that farm in Kansas way back when. I wonder if that had absolutely nothing to do with me. But let me go a step further. Um, this verse, I don't think, is saying... Uh, your success is dependent upon spiritual giants in your ancestry, although it mentions Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I think this verse is saying your success is dependent on God's character and his will and his desire. Uh, He's going to achieve things when he wants to, and sometimes there will be a corollary because we did a blessable thing, and sometimes there won't. Sometimes we want there to be a corollary and we try and make it seem like there is one. Uh, and maybe it's there, maybe it's not. Maybe we'll find out on the other side. You know, why might God reach Dubuque in these coming years? Is it because Hope Church is such an awesome church? Is it because we've got the best elders or the best staff or the best lay leaders? Is it because we'll let people bring coffee into the worship center? You know, and we've got this cool philosophy of ministry or something like that. Maybe, you know, we're not thinking about how to do church and that's a waste of time. All that matters and our pursuit of holiness, all that matters. Um, but some, some of the things that are going to happen in our midst are just sheerly because God wants them to happen or because God promised them to somebody else or because um, God uh, ordained it a long time ago and we just happen to be intersecting with what he's doing. So it's good to take into account. Here's number three. Uh, this is, let's jump to the New Testament. And uh, Matt actually mentioned this verse. Uh, Mary treasured all these things, pondered them in her heart. She tre- uh, treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And uh, this is right after the um, shepherds visit them in the stable and all that jazz. And I, I have to say, I probably think of this verse it, like at least once a week in this last year. Um, what I take from this verse is, yes, I should debrief with myself, but better yet, I should debrief with Jesus. And Hey, Jesus, um, how do you feel about that circumstance, that relationship, that concern, that thing that just happened? I wonder what you're thinking right now. And, um, you know, we often talk about seeking the Lord, You know, hey, uh, before I strike out and and go to do this thing, let me seek the Lord on that. Uh, I think we should also seek him afterwards uh, to to be debriefing with the Lord. You know, I've been thinking lately about this uh, idea of shyness um, and what's happening privately in my heart with just Jesus and I. Um, Not everything needs to be processed out loud. I know we're in a culture right now that does that a lot. Not everything needs to be put into a group text or put on Facebook or embedded in a talk like this one 
or brought up in a Bible study. Perhaps some things are better processed with shyness just between you and the Spirit. What are you tucking away in your heart for future discussion with the Spirit? You know, I wonder if we process everything out loud with our circle of friends or in a group email, do some of our thoughts develop prematurely or immaturely? Uh, I don't know the answer to that, but I've been thinking about that lately. I wrote this down. I wrote, what you treasure in your heart today will be food for your soul tomorrow. What you treasure in your heart today will be food for your soul tomorrow. Uh, What profound thoughts are you having that are just you and the Spirit? Or what things are happening in your life where you're putting your head on the pillow or you're going for the walk uh, or whatever, where you're just saying, uh, I want to ponder that in my heart. I want to I treasure that one up. Let's go to the next one. Uh, this is 2 Corinthians 10, 18. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Uh, the starting place for me on this is I have to continually remind myself, hey, Daryl, you're okay. Jesus likes you. You're okay. Have that be your starting place. You know, we don't have to be so determined to prove ourselves or to clamor for affirmation from other people. I tell myself, don't seek opportunities so fast. Don't try and make things happen. Uh, And I'm, I'm an action-oriented, results-oriented type of uh, leader. That's just my bent. And I feel like God has been telling me, don't push so hard. You don't need to make things happen. Instead, he said, pray and let God bring the opportunity and the accolades to you. Do, do I trust the Spirit to water my soul? Do I need to play hungry, hungry hippo to get the um, encouragement that I need because I'm trying to water my own soul? Or will I sit back and say, my starting point is Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me and the rest is details. And then from there, He will water my soul. He'll send the encouraging email when he decides or he'll have the person say the kind word or whatever. It's not the one who commends himself who is approved. It's the one whom the Lord commends. But to let that verse exist, you have to let it exist on his timetable. Um, Again, this theme of shyness comes up for me. Uh, I'm trying to figure out what it means for me to be shy in leadership. You know, there's this uh, verse um, in 1 Thessalonians that says, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands. And I used to always think of that verse as being um, for certain types of Christians. Like if you had the gift of helps, for example, that is a great verse for you. Um, But if you're a results-oriented let's take the hill kind of leader, 
then that's not a verse for you. And let me read the verse again. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands. And what I've been wondering lately is, um, is that a verse for me? I, I think that is a verse for all Christians at all times. If it is, then some people, who are, that verse is going to come more naturally to them, um, they're going to have a much easier time than me having to wrestle with that verse. Uh, maybe that's a verse that comes naturally to you, or, or maybe you wrestle with it like I do. Let's go to the next one, Galatians uh, 6.9. Let's not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't, if we don't give up. Um, here's the question I wrote. Whose timetable are you on? Church isn't easy, but God will deliver for His glory in His timing. So rest in His peace. I see three ideas in this passage stacked up. The first one is, doing good is hard. He says, let's not become weary in doing good. Well, why would I become weary in doing good? Because doing good is hard. It will drain you. It drains us, right? The second thing is, God has a harvest. It says, uh, we will reap a harvest. God uh, has a harvest. He wants to do things uh, for his kingdom. There's a parable. It's one of my favorite parables. It's only in Mark. It's in chapter 4. And basically, uh, this guy sows some seed in a field, goes to bed at night, wakes up, and the seed has all sprouted. And he says, good golly, what happened? I don't know. I guess I'll reap it. I'll harvest it. And he says, I didn't make that happen. I don't know what's going on here. All I see is some spiritual result in front of me, so I'll act accordingly. And God, it's God's harvest on God's time. I, I like when we sing in church here, we say, Oh my God, will not delay. My God will come through always. You know, God's timing is mysterious. It's unpredictable. Um, but the default setting on the kingdom of God is growth. He wants us to wake up one day and say, look, a harvest. Uh, okay, get out the sickle, you know. Um, I like Second Peter. He says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Uh, just basically comes to the question of, Am I willing to relinquish control? Uh, I want to control the flow of this. I want to control the circumstances of this. Um, and he's saying, I'm sorry, did you think you were in control? Uh, I'll tell you, if you, uh, you have something happen, like I just spent three weeks in Iowa City, before the second surgery, I said to the surgeon, you know, this is just reminding me again that I'm not in control always, and the only thing that's fluctuating is my acknowledgement of that fact. Um, by nature, I'm a starter. I'm not a, uh, a finisher. So a verse like this is also hard for me um, because I'm not naturally good at persevering. I, I like it when other people uh, finish things that I was involved in getting started. But, um, but he's saying, uh, at the proper time, if we don't give up, God will bring a harvest. It's that savory blend of us doing stuff and him doing stuff, and it's enmeshed, and we don't know how it all comes together, but uh, God's uh, in charge of all that. So 
I'm glad I'm on a team with you finishers because otherwise I'd get nothing done. Here's the next verse, uh, Deuteronomy also. It says, Then the Lord will drive out the nations ahead of you. And here's the key part. Though they are much greater and stronger than you, and you will take over the land. And here's the principle I take from this verse. Uh, There are no obstacles greater than the spiritual obstacles that we face in this spiritual work that we're doing here, that we're discussing here now. The risks, the stakes, uh, the resistance is massive. Uh, This is the game. Um, But, despite all of that that's stacked up against us, the power of the Spirit is supreme over all of these massive risks, stakes, and resistance. So how does my attitude tell the Spirit, good morning, I trust you today. You're supreme. You know, my, uh, my brother-in-law used to live with us, and uh, this is back in Chicago, lived with us for a year. And we'd, it'd be breakfast time, we'd be going our separate directions. The last thing I'd say to him is, I'm off to change the world today. And uh, it wasn't because I thought I was really going to change the world, but because I just wanted us to acknowledge together that, um, hey, we got some work to do. Let's put our hand to the plow. You know, this day could be a day that God could do something through. Um, Yeah, it's not going to be an easy day. Yeah, there's going to be a bunch of stuff that's going to hit the fan. Yeah, there's not going to be plans that go my direction. Um, But greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world, right? Uh, I, I like a verse like this because it attacks my desire um, to be in control. Instead, I just have to say, uh, I surrender to you because the obstacles are so big. I remember we had a staff meeting discussion about a year ago where we said, okay, here's the starting point. There's, I don't know, eight or nine of us in this room right now, pastors, directors. Uh, all of us, our job description is way too big for any one of us. Um, we are to a man destined to fail. Uh, You cannot do your job the way that your job description is written. It's impossible. Uh, You're going to flunk out of the system. Uh, You're going to burn out. You're going to flare out, whatever. What what is the only hope for this? Well, uh, you know, God intervening, right? But then the other thing we said was, um, we got to raise up lay leaders. We got to surround ourselves with people and build teams uh, because this isn't uh, about us. But, um, the other thing that this verse attacks, I think, is my um, just my wanting to just do it with my own hands because, uh, like I just said, um, it's too big. It's too massive. The, the things that we're facing with what we're trying to do with spiritual formation of other people and discipleship and evangelism, it's just all too much. There's, there's no one of us that can um, tackle this beast and solve this thing. It's, uh, it's band up together like people in this room or game over. So let's go to uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. But just as he who has called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it's written, quoting the Old Testament, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Here's the principle uh, that, uh, and I would say that this is one of my favorite verses, actually. Uh, I just have to remind myself about this verse all the time. 
I wrote this. Your desire to be set apart in your inner man is the most powerful leadership skill that you have. Uh, it's not about introvert, extrovert, or good at building teams, or um, good public speaker, or you know, good on the guitar, or good at planning an event. Or I mean, those things are all well and good. Um, but ultimately, uh, do you want to be set apart? Uh, is the question I keep coming back to for me. Uh, like in Philippians where he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, that's not easy, but that is the chief basis for our leadership capacity at this church. Uh, holiness to me is that combination of our motives, our actions, our purity of speech, the health of our conflict, not whether we're going to have conflict, but the health of our conflict, our slowness to anger. Uh, and you could just add on the list on and on and on. Um, several years ago, I don't know, maybe seven, eight years ago, I developed this list of 12 roles that I have in my life. And these are roles that I think of, um, and I'll ask myself, how am I doing in that area of my life? And then I can apply an idea like this to it, and I can say, how am I doing in holiness in that area of my life? Here's just quickly the 12 roles uh, that I see myself in. I am a son of God. Uh, these are in little uh, triplets of four triplets. I'm a son of God. I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm a family member, a husband, a father. I'm a friend, a neighbor, a citizen. And then I'm a, a pastor, a leader, and an innovator. And I go through those roles in my mind and I say, I could be knocking it out of the park in this area, but how am I doing in this other area? And those 12 roles don't get equal time in my life. Uh, some are much greater than others. You know, my role as a, a husband is much different than my role as a citizen. Um, but, you know, we've got to give Jesus permission into all of the areas of our life, right? All the zones of our life, all the parts of our heart. What's it mean for Daryl to be holy, basically? All right, so, um, you know, Jesus wept is the shortest verse in the Bible, right? Here's, uh, here's the runner-up. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Pray continually. Um, I, for years, I've been challenged by this verse. I don't know what this verse means. Um, I feel like I'm trying to figure it out. I feel like I've got an understanding better than I did 10 years ago. Or, um, but this is a weird verse to me. Because uh, if you do what it's asking you to say it would mean that you would have to be praying all the time. And um, there's a verse in Galatians, he says, uh, or here's the principle, uh, we should be in constant contact with Jesus. Um, that's hard for me. Here's Galatians 5. Since we have the Spirit, let's keep in touch with the Spirit. Well, that's a good one. Let's not be out in front of the Spirit. Let's not call on the Spirit periodically. Uh, if, and then he goes, um, I believe that's right before he just quoted all the fruits of the Spirit. Since we have the Spirit, let's keep in touch with the Spirit. You know, if we are servants, brothers, friends of Jesus, then let's be praying to him all the time. If we're ambassadors, then let's uh, call back to base, you know. Um, I will often, in the morning, pray, and my prayer will be, uh, Lord, I'm not going to pray to you today. Uh, unless you prompt me to pray because I know who I am. 
So would you prompt me to pray today? Because that's the only chance that we have of having a conversation. Um, because I want to be having a conversation with you, but I know my natural state. Um, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll do what I say. And I was thinking recently about that. I've always interpreted that verse. This is, uh, he says that in John. Uh, and that's a verse that actually changed my life when I was like 19. I, was, I became a Christian when I was six, but I uh, started playing full court, so to speak, when I was 19. And that was the turnaround verse for me. If you love me, you'll do what I say. And I always thought of that verse as being um, him referring to like the red letters in Scripture. Like, read your Bible, then you'll know what I ask you to do, and then act accordingly. And it occurred to me recently that um, I believe he is referring to those things. But I have an ongoing relationship with Jesus. And um, what if, if you love me, do what I say, is referring to um, pray, listen, act. You know, I have something that I wanted you to do today that wasn't necessarily in the Bible um, but the only way that you were going to hear it is if we had a conversation in your head. Nothing me- measures our loyalty like prayer. Uh, nothing tests our obedience uh, like prayer. You know, here's what I want. I want God to give me the Bible, and I want to take from the Bible the formula so that I can have a checklist, so that I can check the things off on the list, so that I can know that he's pleased with my life. And I think what he's saying to me is, um, I don't want to give you a checklist. Yes, obviously there are principles in the Bible and there are commandments and stuff like that. But he's saying, I don't want to give you a checklist so that you can check it off. What I really want is you praying continually so that you're checking in with me and then you do what I say. On, on an, you know, If I only give you one step at a time, you'll have to keep coming back for, okay, what's the next step? Okay, what's the next step? And that's what the relationship looks like, and that's what it looks like to pray continually. That, in my mind, is infinitely harder than uh, having a checklist. Um, you can have, re- I'm sorry, I'm having mic troubles here, but you can have a formula, and we could call that religion, but we aren't such religious people here in this room, are we? It's about a relationship, and that's where you have to keep checking in. And that's where he says, don't give me formula, give me followership. That's what he really wants. Sometimes I think Jesus is standing on the stage of my life with the mic in hand, and he's saying, "Uh, is this thing on? (laughs) You know? And I like uh, a song I heard a long time ago. It says, he is not silent. We are not listening. How are your divine listening skills? All right, I got two more. Exodus 35. This one's a little long. Um, But it says basically, then Moses said to the Israelites, uh, God is going to ask the Israelites to build the tabernacle, and he's asking Moses to see to it that that happens. Then Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen uh, Beziel, son of Uri, and the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom and understanding, with knowledge and all kinds of skills, to make artistic designs 
for works of gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and to set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of artistic crafts. And then it goes on to talk about Aholiab, another guy that's given similar skill. And then it says that he was, God's asking these guys to do this specific work. And then it says that he's asking other people to take up an offering so that these guys will have the resources that they need to do this specific work that he asked them to do. Okay, so we all know we've all been around church a while. So we all know that God gives spiritual gifts, and then we ask, oh, what's our spiritual gift? And that's a great question. But let's be reminded, too, that um, there is a difference between spiritual gifts and just skills and talents and things like that. Um, But skills and talents, I take from this verse, are apportioned by the Lord. You know, singing is not a spiritual gift. Um, That's a skill or a talent. But but singing is apportioned by the Lord just like spiritual gifts are. You know, and uh, and maybe you uh, have some other skill uh, accounting or, you know, whatever it is um, that you're using for the kingdom. Uh, and it's not necessarily a spiritual gift. Um, but just like these guys, uh, their abilities to work with this craftsmanship to um, God wanted to build this tabernacle. He not only said, I want, I want it to look this specific way, but also I picked these specific people to do it in this specific way. And I put these specific skills in them for this moment so that they would be able to do it the way that I want. And then I want the rest of you to um, uh, pony up some cash, or in their case, uh, jewelry and all this kind of stuff that we can melt down and and fine cloth and everything like that that we can use um, so that this person can do the one thing that we asked uh, him to do. I just find that fascinating. I find that awesome. I remember when we sat down with the building team before we did this uh, renovation of this building, and we had guys in construction, guys in architecture, Uh, various disciplines in the room. I read this verse to them, and I said, you know, architecture is not a uh, spiritual gift, um, but my hope is that in these coming months, you feel very used of the Lord, just like these gentlemen did back then. And there is something that you have. um, I think you should figure out what your spiritual gifts are. Um, But there are some things that you're uh, good at that you may not be able to directly correlate to spiritual gifting. Don't sweat it. Because everything that is good that's in you was put in you by the Lord, for the Lord, for His glory. And um, hopefully we'll be able to come around you and resource you for that um, to whatever way that seems reasonable to the community. So um, I like it in Ephesians where he says that we have been given good deeds that He prepared in advance for us to do. So here's, here's a question. Um, what is He asking you to do in this season? And I would say, uh, just a caveat here, don't worry about your life plan, okay? I mean, maybe you should, maybe you shouldn't. I don't know if I should be saying that, but I would worry much more about this year Um, because your life takes twists and turns. If you would have told me that I would be uh, serving on staff at a church in Iowa and you told me that years ago, I would have never believed that, you know? Um, Don't worry so much about the life plan because then you might just end up with some analysis paralysis. Ask, what does he want me to do in this next season? Maybe that will just get you moving forward. Um, Recently, uh, a pastoral care opportunity came to our team. And it fell to me to apportion it to decide who would be asked to do it. And I was driving down Kennedy Road. And very clearly, uh, Jesus said, I want you to do this one. And um, I was trying to decide 
which staff person to give it to. And I was thinking through, should I give it to this person or this person? And then he just said, and in the span of one block, I knew um, I should not, it would be wrong for me to give this one away to somebody else, but he was wanting me to do this specific one. And, um, and I felt uh, when I was in, used of the Lord and engaged in that particular pastoral care need, I felt very much like um, affirmed in that 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 wasn't just bad pizza that was um that was me hearing the lord right and uh i i got great joy from being involved in that pastoral care opportunity um yeah sure uh, obviously um we just got done saying we're not so great right um we are interchangeable uh, dare i even say disposable uh, in the kingdom of God. He could have somebody else do that thing, okay? Don't get us wrong there. Um, but in many cases, he could have somebody else do it, but he doesn't want to have somebody else do it. He wants to have you do it. He gave it to you. He wants you to do it. So do it. All right, here's the last one. Second uh, Corinthians uh, chapter 11. I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ. This is uh, the Apostle Paul talking. So that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. Uh, he's talking to a church that he's been in personal conflict with. He says, we've been speaking in the sight of God as those in Christ, and everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening. That's the key I want you to hear. Everything we do is for your strengthening. I promised you to Jesus that I was going to help you be strengthened. We're glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong. And our prayer is that you may be fully restored. The authority the Lord gave me is for building you up, not for tearing you down. And here's the principle uh, I take from this one. Uh, as leaders, uh, we are responsible for guiding a pure church for him. Now, I think we need to dissect the difference between what is the Spirit's role and what is the church's role or what, what's our role as leaders in the church. Our, we're not here to do the Spirit's job. Uh, he has a distinct job. Let's let him do his job. But as leaders in the church, we do have a role to play. Uh, we have been given authority. We're all in this room because we've been given some measure of authority. And um, we're responsible for delivering as pure a church possible as we can collectively. But got to tell you, Paul is writing this, and he got walked all over by some people in this particular church. And he's saying, will you die to yourself for the sake of the team? Will you allow yourself to be hurt, uh, shortchanged, overlooked, disrespected for the sake of other people being strengthened? Your position of responsibility at this church is so that you can build other people up. Uh, my position of responsibility at Hope Church is so that I can build other people up. Uh, Jesus allowed himself to silently be hurt for the church. You know, when Jesus was being hurt, uh, he didn't form a posse. You know, Peter wanted to form a posse, and he wanted to get out the sword, and Jesus puts the uh, ear back on the guy. Je Jesus did not assert his rights. There was no plea for fairness. There was no anonymous letter to the elder board. There was no pity party. 
there was no sharing privately with his small group, you know. Um, there was just him lovingly serving the church. Uh, let's lay it all on the line for the church. Let's put it on the line for others. Even people that we would disagree with, let's put it all on the line with them, for, for them. And I'm not saying that you should never assert yourself, and I'm not saying that you should have bad boundaries, and I'm not saying that you should let people walk all over you or slander you. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, follow the Spirit, and then act accordingly in meekness. Again, back to the shyness again. Be a roaring lion when he asks you to be. But also be a shy dove when he asks you to be. Here's my my last thought. How jealous are we for the souls in our city? You know, that sounds like an evangelism question, doesn't it? That's mostly how I've used it before when I've made that comment in the past. And obviously that comment comes from this passage. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, he says. What if instead of being an evangelism comment, that is a comment about church health? It's a question about church health. Because that's basically what I see in this passage. This is not an evangelism passage. This is a church health passage. He, are you like Paul, so jealous for the souls of those who are not here yet that you're willing to go to great lengths to be emotionally healthy in the church because that is the gospel that will be caught by those that are watching us in our city before they are taught the gospel that you and I know to be the gospel, right? They're going to look at us and say, is that a emotionally healthy community or not? Um, if the answer is or not, then the gospel that we want them to hear will never be heard. So the question of, are we jealous for the souls in our city, is a question of, um, am I willing to pray, lay down my guns, fight fair, um, fight like friends? Got to figure out what that looks like, right? Um, And come together with all of its stickiness. I mean, we are quite a motley crew, are we not? Uh, But to come together for his cause, for his glory. The only way that we could have a third campus or a fourth campus or a fifth campus or a sixth campus or whatever Jesus would ask us to do is if we are a healthy church. Uh, A growing church does not always mean uh, a healthy church, but hopefully a healthy church is always growing. Amen? So... Hey, let's uh, close in prayer. And then um, when I close in prayer here, we're going to be done for the day, I believe. Is that right, Michelle? I think we, I think we are. Okay. How are we on time? Oh, actually, uh, I'm going to close in prayer here now. We're going to give you 10 minutes at your table. I forgot we have a discussion question here. And then I'll close in prayer for the whole thing all together. So let's pray here. Jesus, thanks for the scriptures. Thanks how they speak to each one of us individually. Thank you that the scriptures do not stand on their own, but are interpreted by the Spirit, and that the Spirit is available because Christ died on the cross for our sins. 
because there is a Father who created us and loves us dearly. And we pray that um, these truths would not become um, humdrum to us or just there, but that they would be ever before us and that they would be the key driver for our passion. And uh, continue to speak to us, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen.